So the Bears are officially into the second full week of the offseason. The GM, the head coach search continues. And seemingly day by day, the Bears keep adding in new candidates requesting to interview both Buccaneers coordinators as of Tuesday. We got Elliot Wolf in the building as well this week. Leslie Frazier's interview was pushed back. The Bears also went ahead and added the general manager that drafted Khalil Mack. So there's a lot of moving pieces. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We're going to be here to break the whole thing down. What's up? Welcome into the Fireside Bears podcast brought to you by Empire Sports Media. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. You know us, the hosts. I've got myself, Usaid Koshal, and the house my friends joseph herf and sam stevenson you can follow them on twitter at joseph herf nfl and at shy sports sam you can check me out on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at usaid koshal welcome into all the new listeners to all the new followers too i've certainly seen a crazy increase as have joe and sam the podcast account seen a big increase too we just surpassed four thousand downloads so thank you for the support but enough of my rambling how are we doing today Today, guys uh doing all right just getting adjusted in my new schedule um as a you know my last semester in college so a lot more earlier mornings so trying to be as productive as i can um i have between lifting really early in the morning for lacrosse and uh early morning classes just trying to be productive trying to sleep better but uh trying to keep up with all the bears news it's been a lot going on the past couple weeks um you know obviously i know the playoffs are going on for the nfl but there's been definitely a lot to talk about, a lot of excitement, a lot of nervous feelings surrounding the Bears um, with who's going to be the next general manager and who's going to be the next head coach and, and kind of what direction uh, the new Bears regime will be looking like. So plenty to talk about today, but uh, doing pretty well. Joe, how are you? You know, my laptop is somehow working. Uh, we'll see how long it lasts. I had to file a complaint with, not file a complaint, I had to file a report with MSI talking about what's going on with it. I literally bought this thing. I talked about it on the last podcast. I bought this thing in October right before uh, Black Friday because it was on sale. And not even in four months, it's already having major issues. So that's been really frustrating to deal with, uh, especially since I do a lot of my uh, financial stuff after work on this laptop and don't bring my work laptop home. So I haven't been able to do a lot of things I normally do at night. On top of even article writing, I don't even have that as an option because I don't. this laptop hasn't been working. So... Uh, hopefully last the entire podcast. We'll see how this goes. I, I haven't had it running for longer than an hour and uh, probably a week. So uh, outside of that, the things are going well. Again, like you were saying, it's hard to keep up with all this Bears news with uh, with work and all the stuff going on in life. So we'll see. Uh, I'm excited to kind of dive into this and talk a little more about it. Yeah, speaking of technology problems, I went on Amazon because I need to check like when the giant lamp that I bought, like when I bought it, and it was exactly like 366 days to the date like I brought this thing. So I bought it like January 17th, 2021, and then lo and behold, today it just like goes kaput, and I'm like, God damn it. So I have like three different ring lights going, like I borrowed mine, well I've got mine, I borrowed my sister's and my dad's, and I feel like turn on two other lights just to make the lighting look presentable enough because we're doing this on StreamYard um because it just looks more professional overall than when we used to do it on zoom but anyways man it absolutely sucks because now i have to go buy like another new light for all the podcasting and youtubing that i do but enough of our technology problems so we're gonna get right into this guys because we're going into the third week of january now and you know this is kind of unprecedented territory for every single team that's hiring a head coach or general manager because again 
the last time we had hiring cycles, and again, I know they happen every year, but I think specifically to the Bears, the last time we had a hiring cycle, the Bears hired Ryan Pace 12 days after the last regular season game. They hired Matt Nagy pretty much like a week after the 2017 season ended and just the first week of 2018 it was just like all right the bears are hiring matt nagy but i think this time it's different because we are going into the basically third week of january i understand there were two january games but it's been basically two weeks at this point since the regular season has been over and no head coach or general manager so i think sam i'm going to start with you on this one but what's taking so long and is that a good or bad thing um, I think in terms of what's taking so long, um, I feel like when we talk about how many candidates the Bears have requested to interview, I think the key word in that sentence is uh, request. Um, not, Bears aren't going to be able to interview all these people necessarily, whether teams are able to block the interviews or just ultimately if those guys don't interview with the Bears. So I think having kind of this idea of this concept of a wide net of candidates, I actually think is a good approach. Um, you know, I, I think back to when uh, – Phil Emery got fired and, and the Bears hired Pace. I think that was like a two-week process. I think the time in between, I, I don't know the specific time, so I could be wrong on that. Someone can correct me on that. But I definitely don't think it was something that necessarily rushed. So I'm okay with it only kind of being a week and a half. I mean, again, we could have a new GM at the end of the week. We could have one in two weeks. Um, I definitely don't want the Bears to get complacent because I know pretty soon candidates are going to start getting hired. I think teams are starting to have second interviews with guys, which – usually is a sign that that candidate is going to be a finalist for the job, whether it's head coach or GM. I think another thing too, that's holding back the bears in terms of hiring a head coach is you really should hire a general manager first. It, it really doesn't make a lot of sense to go hire a head coach and then force that head coach candidate on a new general manager. Uh, I mean, I think there's probably a few exceptions maybe to that. Um, I mean, I ultimately though would, would rather see the bears go after a GM see who he likes, see who he wants to bring, especially if you bring a guy like a Morocco Brown or, or an Ed Dodge from the Colts, and he might have a guy from his own you know, former regime that he might want to bring along. Um, I'm just using that as an example. Again, I, I'm all for this idea that they're requesting a lot of candidates because, again, you're ultimately not going to get every single one to come in an interview, whether that's on Zoom or within Chicago or the, the McCaskies and stuff, actually going to them directly. And – you know, I think this is a process that shouldn't be rushed. The Bears have failed at this time and time again. And maybe now with their kind of being more pressure to be like, hey, you need to figure this out. It seems like George McCaskey's kind of actually taking the time to to slow things down a little bit. And, and again, I don't want it to be too slow. I, I, good candidates are going to start getting hired. Like that is going to start happening. We're going to start seeing teams find their new head coaches and find their new general managers. And because the Bears – one of the few teams with both a head coach and uh, GM vacancy, you'd think they'd be the most appeasing job. But, I mean, Las Vegas Raiders just fired their general manager, and it doesn't seem like Rick Basicchia has that job secured. That could be an appeasing place to go to, especially when you consider how much money they play, paid John Gruden. So when I think of, like, why it's taking so long, I think they're trying to just take the time to evaluate as many good candidates as possible I think ultimately when you're trying to hire a GM, you're kind of shooting in the dark because they've never been a GM before. And I just think it's a position where you're not going to be an expert at it right away. I think with a head coach, there's a lot more at stake there. Um, but I would really rather see the Bears hire a GM first. Again, to the point that I talked about, they have their own coaching candidates they might want to bring in. 
So ultimately, and I'm going to bounce this back to Joe um, as I wrap this point up, I'm okay with this idea of casting a wide net and seeing how many fish you can catch. Yeah, I was. I basically have in my notes too before this that the Bears are basically, like you said, casting a wide net and just honestly doing their due diligence. They're bringing a ton of highly touted candidates. I know early on they started bringing guys that everybody thought was like amazing people. I know they brought in both those Brown guys who are both very highly touted. Um, they they've been unbelievable at drafting and in free agency. They've built that team incredibly well and turned them around incredibly quickly. Um, along with guys, both the Colts guys, Ed Dodds and Morocco Brown are both two guys I love a lot. Um, and you kind of had all the points I was really going to talk about, but another really good point is that some of these GM candidates are still on teams that are in the playoffs. And I think the bears honestly are just playing the slow just to kind of see how those play out and see how coaches along with the possible GM pairings that they could put together play. So, I wouldn't say the Bears are going to obviously hire a head coach first, but I think when they eventually get their kind of finalists for GM and head coach, it'll be GM first, obviously, but they're going to have coaches in mind to pair with those GMs. So when, say, for example, the Bears bring in Ed Dodds for an interview, and Ed Dodds says, and they ask him basically on their second interview, who's the head coach you'd bring with you? Because we want to have your guy here with you. We They don't want another scenario where they had Ryan Pace stuck with John Fox, and it's completely wrong. A guy he's never worked with before, two minds that just aren't in the same spot. John Fox is trying to fix the culture. Pace is trying to rebuild an entire team. And then Ryan Pace brings in Matt Nagy, who he has no familiarity with whatsoever. So I think what they're doing is essentially bringing in these head coaches and GMs on separate occasions to see who would fit best together based on personality, based on working experience. And they're just kind of line up, they're trying to line this up essentially for the playoffs. So a Good name that comes to mind is Brian Dable. He's still in the playoffs. They're not going to announce a hiring on him anytime soon. Um, He's still trying to – I mean, the Bills have a really good shot to make a really good run here. So, again, kind of rambling on in terms of this GM and head coaching stuff, but you kind of hit it perfectly. Cast a wide net, see what's out there, and the Bears are one of the hot hot spots to land outside of, like you said, the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, and, you know, I – Gonna agree with you too as well here, and I had an, a different perspective. I like the fact that the Bears are adding this. Like the net just keeps seemingly getting bigger and bigger, which is really good because you know the first we kind of everyone was on top of it, saying okay, these are the people they're bringing in, and we'll get to it. We'll get to it in just a moment here. But they've added a couple names, a couple like I think really intriguing and surprising names too. But I also like the idea of being able to cast a wide net because look, the Bears are a team when you look at it, and especially under George McCaskey. You know, when we talk about this search committee, I think there's something we have to consider here. Obviously, the Bears want stuff like diversity, but there's five main people on this search committee, right? You have George McCaskey, Ted Phillips. Bill Polian, Tanisha Wade, and Lamar Soup Campbell. Okay, now this is certainly an interesting search committee because you know that McCaskey and Phillips are basically the tandem that's hired the last three general managers, okay, from, well, I should say the last two general managers because, you know, Phil Emery and then Ryan Pace, right? And so ultimately when you look at that, what's kind of happened is this, is that under McCaskey and Phillips, they've been through what, like two general managers or three general managers as well as four head coaches at this point. Now, the reason I say that it's actually good it's taking so long because I personally think Bill Polian's the one that's just not an advisor. He's also the one leading the search. And that's big news for the Bears because this is – 
a team that just shown us time and time again that, hey, listen, we seemingly can't get the GM or the head coach position figured out. And more so, while we may not necessarily be hands-on and involved in every football decision, George McCaskey and Ted Phillips, they're going to be involved in some way, shape, or form. And so basically taking your time and slowing this down is giving the Bears the opportunity to fully do their homework. Whereas in the past, like, let's just be honest, what's happened with George McCaskey? He's locked on to one or two candidates, and then that's pretty much been the end of the story, right? In the sense that, you know, the finalists come down to a set number of three or four people. And now I think what's going to happen moving forward as we kind of get to the middle part of this week, you know, you are going to see a couple names out there that you're like, okay, you know what? That's not someone that would be my first choice, but these are the advantages of this candidate. And I think that the single biggest advantage of looking at this Bears GM search right now, as well as the head coaching search, is that there's not necessarily a wrong candidate, you know? And I'll add this point in. When you guys brought up Brian Dable, Dable's an interesting case study for me because his offense would fit very well with Justin Fields. And we'll get to Dable in a moment here. But I also think that when you talk about this concept of accepting head coaching jobs, something has to be said. Because let's just say the New York Giants go ahead and offer Brian Dable a big contract. Well, at the end of the day, maybe Dable says, I don't want to take that gig because the quarterback of the future is not in place. I'm going to go ahead and take the Bears kick. And I'm willing to wait it out for the Bears to see if an offer comes rather than kind of just, you know, fly all the way to New York and jet off to New York and call it a day and have to work with someone like Daniel Jones. But then only in 2023 or 2024 have to be starting over at the quarterback position. And so the Bears taking this long, I know it sucks, but Ultimately, this team's trying to do things the right way for the first time in forever. And that's something that we shouldn't overlook because this franchise, and we'll talk about it more and more, this franchise is basically the definition of impatience. Yeah, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because it is like killing, I'm sure. It kills me, I'm sure it kills everybody else. I just want to know who they're hiring. Like, I just want to get an idea of who they're looking at, like who favorites are. And it's killing me. Like, it's like, making me so anxious like this could literally define the future of the bears. This could define whether the bears build a franchise around Justin Fields or if it gets blown up again with Mitch Trubisky, just like that. Like it's such a, it's such a hard time right now for us fans because we're kind of stuck in this middle state of it could either go very right or very wrong. And it's making us all anxious about it. No, I, I really like that you bring up that idea of like, right or wrong, what's, what route is the franchise going to take? And, and, you know, ultimately, this isn't the first time that George McCaskey has has had to make that decision and kind of reset the, the time clock for, you know, time clock, the clock for the Bears. And for me, I think when you take, talk about that point, I think the coach option for me feels very more like short-term, what are the Bears going to look like? Whereas I feel like with a GM, you have a little bit more time to, like, evaluate your roster can you legitimately see yourself being a contender in the next five years is this a roster that you need to tear apart i mean the new general manager might take players that ryan pace was very high on and bears fans may may think are are pieces of the future and similar to kind of what the chicago bulls did with with former guard packs picks and, and and send them all off on their way and and build the roster that he wants and i could totally see that being a possibility and again, ultimately, it comes back to the point of a GM needs to be hired before a coach. 
because a GM is going to want to potentially have a say in the coach. And ultimately that coach and that GM are going to work together to build this roster around pieces like Justin Fields. And it's exciting. I definitely agree with you both on the idea of like the impatience of it, because again, are the Bears going to go and, and make the the safe quote unquote pick with a Leslie Frazier? Are they going to roll the dice on an offensive coordinator with some upside in like a Brian Dable? So it's exciting. It's, it's fun to speculate a little bit. It's definitely making me a little bit nervous because they could absolutely fumble the bag here as they have in the past. Um, but it gives a lot, you know, it's a lot of speculation, a lot of insight. And I think there are kind of to your guys' points. I think there's a lot of really good candidates. I don't think there's necessarily any quote unquote bad candidates at either position. Well, and let me add this dynamic in too, in terms of like, you know, you bring up what the general manager wants to do. I do think that compared to the last time the Bears were hiring a general manager, there are more building blocks than ever. I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying this lightly. I do think, you know, on both sides of the football, offense more so than defense, the Bears have some legitimate building blocks, which means that this GM's work is going to be cut out. It's going to be much easier than the situation that Ryan Pace walked into. But then you also have to kind of factor this in to the equation is that you're looking at some of these picks. And, you know, when I talk about building blocks, I mean, you know, you know what you have on the offensive side of the ball. I would say the one real position that you kind of have to shore up, well, there's two positions, right, is that you need to find a starting caliber center. And then you need to go ahead and you need to revamp the wide receiver room around Darnell Mooney and then tight ends are kind of a toss-up because the Bears have some intriguing names there okay I think that when you talk about the future of this tight end room and how you can kind of the new GM's gonna kind of have to build around it you have to consider something you know Kokomet's kind of there I know that some of our friends on Bears Twitter have kind of thrown out the possibility of hey how about the new GM comes in and upgrades Cole Komet well or upgrades from Cole Komet. I think that the Bears are going to kind of stick with Cole Komet for two seasons. You look at other players on the roster that have been with the team over the last couple of years, like a Jesper Horstead or a J.P. Holtz. I see Joe's seal of approval there. But the point is the Bears have some potential at the tight end position that's just kind of been underdeveloped or hasn't been given a chance to showcase what those players can really do and then you also look at the running back position that's pretty much set so for the bears right now i think you know offense is kind of set for the most part outside of center wide receiver and then beefing up the tight end position defense i think is where we're really going to see this GM, new gm's evaluation skills take place and that's important because gets cool you have khalil mag robert quinn and roquan smith along with an ascending star and Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson, who's solid in coverage, just can't tackle for his life. But then there's other key pieces like how are you going to rebuild his defensive line? You know, and all these things are questions the Bears are going to have to answer this offseason. Why? Because you're going to get the possibility of do you move on from Eddie Goldman? What about Bilal Nichols, who's a free agent? Akeem Hicks certainly is not coming back. You're going to have to make decisions on Danny Trevathan, Alec Ogletree. So the new GM from day one, his life's going to be easy on offense, but just having to go ahead and rebuild the defense is going to be kind of a taller task. Yeah, I like the... I, w- I, I agree and disagree. Like, the defense will be... There's a lot of major spots you got to fill there, but I think it's kind of the same boat as offense. And I know I love that you touched on how this team really did not develop the wide receiver or sorry the tight end room well because i was going to add they couldn't develop the wide receiver room well either you see they basically got a slam dunk in Allen robinson i mean he 
already had a 1400 yard season in Jacksonville. He was a slam dunk. Like that was an obvious, he's already good. You didn't have to develop him at all. The only, you would say development was Darnell Mooney, but he came in already pretty good. Like he didn't progress. I mean, he's obviously progressed since year one, but he just took a step forward, like a natural step forward in the NFL. But outside of that, I mean, you saw Anthony Miller was a second round pick. He's not even on a team right now that I know of, unless he's on a practice squad somewhere. Um, Riley Ridley, fourth round pick. He was touted as the best route runner coming out of that class, and he became absolutely nothing at all. Javon Wims, I mean, a great jump ball guy too, a big, big body. All he became was a blocker. Every year he was on the Bears and throwing punches. But regardless, like they, they need to find somebody that can develop this talent because, like, like you, you were saying, you said we have there's talent there. Like it just needs to be developed and. And that goes everywhere, just from the offensive line. We're getting the most out of guys like James Daniels, Cody Whitehair, and the two rookies at tackle. Even possibly Sam Mustafer. I mean, Olin Cruz apparently likes him. He can't be horrible, right? And getting the most out of Justin Fields. So, again, the, the defense does need to be rebuilt a little bit. And guys like the second cornerback position, a little bit of the defensive line, if Akeem Hicks and Bilal Nichols are both gone, edge is kind of set for the time being short-term-wise. But yeah, a second safety position along Eddie Jackson is kind of needed too. But I, I think honestly, like you're saying, that whoever comes in this team is in a very good spot right now. Well, and you know, I want to add two things on here. Let's just take it back all the way to the 2012 season because when you look at the last basically 10 years for the Bears, I think a lot of people look at the win loss record, and again, the win loss record in a results based business is ultimately how you're going to be judged. But there's something to be said for all this when we talk about building the bears right they number one you kind of have this is i think dating back to the twilight days of the lovey smith era so this is the start of the jay cutler kind of towards the end of the lovey smith era but and then you look at the mark trustman years to really outside of the john fox years i have to say the bears have always had pretty good rosters they've always had decent rosters there's been players that have kind of stuck around that have been competitive enough or good enough to keep the bears relevant and competitive. But what's happened is it's like bad coaching has just continued and lack of development has continued to let the bears down time and time again. And so that's why I think it's so important, right? That when you continue to move forward here, not only is building, a lasting and sustaining winner, a big priority, but also continuing to draft and develop. When you look at the best teams in the NFL, I mean, the Ravens, the Chiefs even, what have they done over the last couple of years? They've just continued to build through the draft, and it's become such a plug-and-play system where it's like, oh, yeah, we drafted you. Well, guess what? We're going to go ahead and plug you in right there. I mean, look at the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. Was it struggling earlier in the year? Yeah, when they went ahead and revamped it, but then also – when you look at it, kind of what's happened, they were able to get guys like Creed Humphrey as well as Trey Smith from Tennessee, a couple mid-round picks, you know, and I was very high on Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith coming out. I was actually a proponent of saying if Trey Smith continues to fall, you draft him and you call it a day, basically, and look at what happened. You know, they have the Chiefs basically have like two to three rookies starting right now, and why it's because of smart coaching as well as great player evaluation. And then... Second thing I want to kind of add on here is this, is that when we talk about playing these hypothetical scenarios, everyone speaks to 
the fact that, okay, well, the Bears have the most attractive job out there. When you ultimately look at the Bears' job, there's very few teams out there that can offer what the Bears have. I mean, what's something so coveted? Because this is how modern teams in the NFL are built. Something that's so coveted is, hey, can you walk into a situation where there's a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback on a rookie contract? The Bears have that with Justin Fields. When you go around and you look at the rest of these openings, I mean, the Vikings don't have that. They're locked into Kirk Cousins. The Jaguars have that with Trevor Lawrence. But again, we all know the mess that the Jaguars are because I do not trust Shad Khan to make the right hire. The Giants don't have that with Daniel Jones. The Giants are pretty much going to have to make a decision on Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. The Raiders, well, their future's up in the air because the next general manager and head coach is kind of be tied to Derek Carr. And so... The Denver Broncos even. They don't have, you know, a young quarterback with high potential on a rookie contract. The Bears are able to offer a blue chip prospect in Justin Fields. And so that kind of does bring up the hypothetical scenario is when you're talking about how attractive this Bears gig is, it's like, would you rather have a 2022 first round pick? And I tweeted this today, by the way, because I was talking to a coworker, but I'm like, okay, would you rather have a 2022 first round pick or would you walk into a situation where you have Justin Fields? And I think that 10 times out of 10, you would choose Justin Fields because people's argument would be, well, at the end of the day, I know that that first-round pick that I get, I don't have to spend it on a quarterback. I could spend it on any position that I want to, but I might not be getting a prospect the caliber of Fields that's gonna, that is at the game's most important position. Yeah, that that's like the only other thing I would add is like ultimately – knack on pace all you want he made a move in the last year's draft to acquire a very very good prospect for the most important position in the nfl like you are not going to have a lot of success in the nfl unless your quarterback position has some stability i'm not saying you have to have a patrick mahomes or a a, a, you know a tom brady or whatever but stability at the quarterback position will lead to long-term success in the nfl so if i'm a gm or a head coach candidate I am absolutely intrigued by the market of Chicago. I'm intrigued by the roster. I agree with you both. I think there's a lot of very nice pieces. I think there's a lot of opportunity to build that roster as well in my own image because the Bears do have a lot of free agents coming up so that, you know, ultimately the new GM may think it's time to move on from a lot of these guys, start building things my direction. And ultimately, Justin Fields. I think truly when I think about a building piece for both a GM and a head coach, I think of a young quarterback with a high ceiling that was mismanaged, that got hurt, and did not play to his full potential his first season. And and that alone makes it a very, very enticing spot for any candidate. So this conversation is going to got me a little off topic, but got kind of a follow-up question with what we were talking about. So say a team comes to the Bears this offseason, comes to the new GM, and says – We'll offer you two first-round picks, 2022 and 2023, for Justin Fields. Do you guys listen at all, or is it an automatic no? You know, I can go first if you guys want to like take a second to think about it, because I was thinking about it this entire time. So I've been like, so if you guys want to think about it, I'll, I'll just you guys get initial thoughts right away. Go be my guest. Well, okay, I'm going to go ahead and say absolutely not, and here's why. Because there's two things that it depends on, right? Number one, it depends on which team is on the phone, okay? And is that team going to have a likelihood of being able to 
get high first round picks in 2022 along with 2023. And then number two, something else you have to consider is that we kind of know the NFL draft is linear, right? We know that, you know, at this point, we're sitting here in 2022, but we know that in 2023 and 2024 that some of the top prospects are going to be names like Jaden Daniels from Arizona State along with someone such as Bryce Young from Alabama. Now, the reason I bring that up is because you can't really – look, Daniels and Bryce Young have been phenomenal in college, but you also can't guarantee that – as the years go by, they're going to continue to be as good or if not better than what Justin Fields kind of showed two years at Ohio State. And so for me, compared to 2022, 2023, and 2024, I would most certainly go ahead and just stick with Justin Fields and be like, hey, you're already on the roster. We're just going to stick this out with you rather than kicking the can down the road. Now, I will say the only advantage of kind of kicking the can down the road and resetting at the QB position is that you would have an offseason or two to – continue to develop and just add to the roster and form a foundation that's good enough for the next quarterback to come into? Um, so I'm saying absolutely not for a few reasons. Um, ultimately, um, two first-round picks are enticing. I, I definitely don't disagree with that. The last time a first-round uh, – the most recent time that a first-round quarterback was traded after his rookie year, does anyone know who it was? It's Josh Rosen, right? It's Josh, Josh Rosen. Rosen. Josh exactly. Rosen was oh, yeah, a 2019 second-round pick and a 2020 fifth-round pick. I'm looking at Josh Rosen's stats compared to Justin Fields' stats. And in more games, he threw more interceptions, few more touchdowns, a few more passing yards, and ultimately like, like won less games for Arizona than Justin Fields did for Chicago. And again, I'm not trying to compare necessarily like Josh Rosen, the quarterback, to Justin Fields, the quarterback, but comparing the situation. The Arizona Cardinals had an opportunity to draft the best quarterback in the draft class in Kyler Murray, and they admitted that clearly Rosen was not ready and not the guy that they thought he was going to be, and they made that move. Most teams wouldn't do that. You're basically – I'm not saying you specifically, Joe. What I'm saying is in this situation – you are calling to the Bears and saying, hey, we want Justin Fields. We clearly see something in him, which the Bears do as well. It's why you traded up for him. And now, if you're the Bears, you have to decide, do I use that pick that you just gave me to go after a guy like a Kenny Pickett or Matt Corral? And do those guys have higher ceilings than Justin Fields? And that's way too many variables for me to justify that trade even if it gets me another first-round pick in 2023. I think, ultimately, the the thought of trading fields just, like, sickens me. I don't know what it is. And, and I actually see some logic behind it. Like, you could absolutely justify having two first-round picks, especially if the Bears find a quarterback replacement and win enough games where they can totally up, overhaul the offense and – um, you know, 2023, they have what they believe are their pieces, but you could also do something similar and still keep fields. I'm not saying two first round picks, but like there are absolutely bears on this roster that have trade value. Robert Quinn, I think is a perfect example. You're not going to get two first round picks for him, but maybe a second round pick and a third round pick or a second round pick that could turn into a first round pick. I, I love the question. Cause I actually think it, it's very enticing when I, if, if I wasn't a bears fan, I would be very 
intrigued by that. But again, I think you said brings up a good point. It depends on who's coming to the door. And again, if teams are knocking and calling for Justin Fields, clearly he has enough value that the Bears probably should hold on to him. Now, if we're talking about third-year Justin Fields and he still isn't what we think he is, it's a different conversation. But we've got a guy who only played in X amount of games for the Bears and definitely made mistakes, but but the ceiling's there. The, the potential is there. And I just don't think I could look at my franchise and say, hey, do you remember that kid you just got excited about, that quarterback from Ohio State? Now we traded him away. Yeah, so I I don't want anybody thinking, too, that I'm saying that I want to trade Justin Fields because that's the last thing I want to do. Like, literally, I'm pretty sure our bios is Justin Fields QB1. But regardless, it's still something like, again, it's it's been a topic they've been talking about on Twitter as of recently with Barstool Sports and uh, Sports Mockery, which I don't trust them anyway. But regardless, it's still a topic that's been talked about. So regardless, I would say, like, I'm listening. I'm not wanting to do it. I'm listening if, say, like the Giants with the fifth overall pick or the Panthers with the sixth overall pick come forward and say, you know what, we, um, we're willing to trade two first-round picks. And that's only because I'm brand- – like, if I'm the brand-new GM, sorry, not me. If I'm the brand-new GM, I'm considering that just because you instantly get two – you get an instant top five, top six pick, Panthers-Giants. You can use that trade back, get even more picks. You can literally just rebuild this entire team by trading away one player who you could possibly be coming in and not wanting completely or not be super high on. Because that sometimes is the case. Like like when, when the Bears had Chris Ballard come in for an interview, he wasn't high on color and he said he was going to get rid of color. Like that's a possibility. Like some people don't want to do that. And like what happened with the Cardinals, they trade away Josh Rosen after a year. So. Again, it's not something I want to happen, but it was, again, I just thought it would be a fun little discussion to hear you guys' thoughts were on it. But, again, no shot up would trade him away. I would consider even maybe three first-round picks, but even then, I love Justin Fields. All right, well, let me kind of ask you guys this, because something that we talked about was, and I mentioned in the intro, was just the fact that the Bears kind of got to a point where we're still seeing GM candidates trickle in. Well, we thought last week was crazy. Well, guess what? The Bears kind of kicked this week off by adding Reggie McKenzie to the list, requesting an interview with him, and he's currently with the Dolphins. His background includes being GM of the Raiders, drafting Khalil Mack as well as Derek Carr, and then also working in the Packers front office in the early 2000s. Then you have Ryan Poles, who used to play for the Bears, I believe, and then you also have names that are being floated out there like Elliot Wolf, who currently works in the Patriots front office, but spent so much time in the Packers front office throughout the early 2000s. They, his dad, Ron Wolf, was responsible for kind of starting this dominant 30-year stretch where the Packers were just winning and dominating the Bears as a result of Brett Favre as well as Aaron Rodgers as Sam blows my phone up here because I'm getting notifications left and right. But I have to ask you guys this, right? Is that do you guys have any – Joe, I'll go to you on this one. Any thoughts on McKenzie or Poles? And then also, let's not forget, Joe Shane got a second interview with the Giants and is being talked about as a finalist for the job. So – I'm not incredibly high on Reggie McKenzie. I don't think he's bad by any means. Again, he's the guy that got Khalil Mack. He's the guy that got Derek Carr. Um, I think he's a solid GM. I don't think he's a bad candidate. I'm not somebody who likes to kick the tires on a failed GM. And again, you could argue that he wasn't a failed GM by saying that John Gruden came in and kind of just wanted to do his own thing. But 
I, I'm not really 100% sure. I mean, it seems like he's the, – the main. so my issue is the main things that people talk about Miami Dolphins is that Brian Flores had no help, their team sucked, yada, 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 all this stuff. Well, he's on the Miami Dolphins front office, so either he's not very good at helping talent for Tua and those kind of players, and he could have had a say possibly in the drafting of Tua over Justin Herbert. So I'd be curious to see more about that. Um, in terms of polls, I don't, I don't know too much about him that I'd want to like say yes or no on him, but there are definitely other guys that I like more a lot. I, I like that um, Sean has gotten a second interview. That's another guy I'm pretty high on. Um, I think the Giants moved a little too quickly. There's no way you can really move that quickly as they are, especially with them still in the playoffs. So I don't know. There's other candidates I like more. They're intriguing. I mean, I'd like to get like they're keep casting a wide net, but not not two guys that are really shooting up to the top of my charts. It's really hard for me to add too much more. Um, I, I think Joe brings up kind of a lot of good points. I, I mean, again, we've talked quite a bit on the show tonight about kind of the idea that no candidate is necessarily like a bad candidate. I think a red flag for me is absolutely a, a quote unquote failed GM. It's actually why I'm not a huge fan of, of Jeff Ireland uh, interviewing with the bears. Uh, as I think many people aren't a huge fan of him. Again, it, it, I don't think I'm ever going to be upset with any of the selections the bears make, but I think disappointment is absolutely something that could happen. Uh, you know, to, to reciprocate my point and to kind of just repeat what I said earlier you're really taking shots in the dark with GM candidates. You don't know who's going to be, you know, the next great GM and who is going to be the next Ryan Pace or Phil Emery or just failed GM in general. So uh, again, I don't know a lot about either of these guys. Um, a lot of what these past weeks have been is me researching these guys and learning more about their history. Um, but again, I like that the bears are continuing to reach out to different teams, different organizations. Um, I like that they can continue to just, find more and more candidates that they could potentially interview the more requests the better in my opinion you know ultimately i think a guy like polls getting a second interview probably means he's not going to interview with the bears but you never know in this league um you know i mean josh mcdaniels was supposed to be the indianapolis colts head coach a few years ago and look what happened there so um i don't know it's it's a, i i like the 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 good spread of of organizations and teams that uh that the Bears are continuing to, to pursue, but don't know a lot about either candidate, if I can be honest. Okay, so Reggie McKenzie is certainly interesting, but I don't want Reggie McKenzie because, full disclosure, I don't see second-time GMs lasting in this league. I mean, there's a reason that these guys were forced out or fired in the first place. Now, for the ones that were kind of forced out, we have to understand, is it more so just like team and, you know, workplace politics just tended to play a big role. But then also when you look at it, some of these guys legitimately sucked at their jobs. And I think the biggest knock or red flag that I have on Reggie McKenzie comes into the fact where, okay, he had Derek Carr. He drafted Khalil Mack. But then ultimately you look at the Raiders. They did make the playoffs with Reggie McKenzie as his general manager, but he never really did anything after that to warrant giving the Raiders an opportunity to go ahead and significantly put them over the playoff hump or even become a serious contender in the AFC West. Now, Ryan Poles is certainly interesting because you are looking at a guy that is in his mid-30s. I mean, he's only like 35, 36 years old. 
And guess what? You know what? He did sign with the Bears as an undrafted free agent back in 2008. He is an offensive lineman. And so when we talk about this Chiefs overhaul of the O-line this offseason, well, guess what? You know what? Ryan Poles was kind of the driving factor behind that. So you're looking at someone who Ryan Poles, I think, is really a outlier when it comes to a lot of these general manager candidates because he essentially has lasted three or four regimes in Kansas City and just kind of continued to work his way up so ultimately we'll look at that you know anytime someone is able to do that it really shows you that that person is a special talent in the building now my only red flag with Ryan Poles is that the Bears kind of showed us hey we're going to hire from Kansas City, but it's going to fail. So are we really going to go back to Kansas City? And you know what? Since we're talking about adding on head coaching and GM candidates late in the process here, I think another intriguing name to keep an eye on would be Mike Borgonzi. He's also in the Chiefs front office as someone that has been labeled as a rising star in the NFL in terms of being a GM. But, you know, Sam, I'm going to go to you on this one. Joe Shane, kind of one of the – right-hand guys in the Bills organization for Brandon Bean. He is someone that got a second interview with the Giants today. The Bears have also kind of had an opportunity to sit down with Shane. Thoughts on him? Uh, again, I, I'm going to continue to just reiterate my points. I like going after organizations like the Buffalo Bills. What, what they've been able to do with that roster over the past few years has been nothing short of incredible. Um, and I think – they are where they are because of that roster that they've built. Um, again, Shane's a guy I don't really know a ton about. The fact that he's getting a second interview with the Giants it is a good thing. Um, and ultimately, I I don't know if I necessarily have a, a read on him that tells me that I like him more or less than anybody else. Again, the Bears have such a wide list of GM candidates, it's kind of hard to keep track of. But I like that they're going after another guy in the Bills organization. I truly think they've done some really nice things over the past few years. Um, again, we're going to be talking about a Bills coach in the next few minutes. So, you know, it's all Buffalo Bills here. Um, the way that that roster was rebuilt as well. I mean, you're, th- you're talking about a Bills team that for the longest time had pieces like Nathan Peterman at quarterback. And now you're looking at a Bills team that may go toe-to-toe with the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend and win a Super Bowl. So, um Again, I don't know a lot about Joe Schoen. I'd have to do more research, um, just kind of see where he would land in my GM um, rankings. So I'm going to kind of pass this one off to Joe here. But, um, again, I'm going to just reiterate it. I like that the Bears are going after guys in the Bills organization because I think it's a very well-run football team right now. I really think there's no way you can honestly say that, like, a certain GM is candidate is better than other ones just because you have no idea what they actually do. Like, sure, they have a job title – they do certain things within the organization, but you don't really know what their exact takes are, how they'll handle contracts. Like we don't see that stuff. So I really don't think outside of people that have already failed as GMs, you could say any of these guys who've never been a GM like Joe Shane, like Ed Dodds, like guys like that. You could say Rick Smith is a possibility of a guy who's a failed GM that could, or not failed, but a guy who was a past GM who could still come back. But outside of that, like, They've been looking at a lot of guys who have been GMs before, and because of that, it's really hard to say who top guys are. I really think it's a lot harder to say rankings in terms of that just because with coaching, it's kind of straightforward. You score points on offense if you're an offensive coach. You don't allow a lot of points on defense if you're a defensive coach, and you get the most out of your talent on both sides of the ball. So I think the one thing that separates Joe Shane from everybody else is he has connections instantly to Brian Dable. 
and I'm sure they're on the relatively same page as that the Bills are always bringing talent to that offense and improving that offense every single year in a great way. They just brought a new tackle this year who's starting as a rookie, uh, Spencer Brown. They got him Josh Allen. They revamped that wide receiver core. They have done multiple things to help that roster um, in terms of offensive line, running back room, just a lot of things in the office that have all made a lot better. So obviously they have a solid connection. It's worked. It looks like the players he's bringing in for Dable work well. So that's a reason that he's a top guy for me is that I'm assuming that wherever he goes, the Dable's going to go with him unless it's a team that sucks, like possibly the Giants. So it's honestly, though, like kind of to bring it back, it is hard to say who are top guys when you really can't see what their day-to-day tasks are. Okay, so Joe Shane is interesting. I don't know why I keep pronouncing or I keep thinking his name's pronounced Sean, but anyway, it's Joe Shane. Now, he's interesting because he's someone that's really cut his teeth in the industry. I mean, you're talking about a someone with a background that kind of you know, he's got a real intriguing background, especially coming from college. Someone who just worked his way up the ranks, started in Carolina, kind of their branding being the current general manager of the Buffalo Bills, recognized that Shane had lots of potential. And then Shane, you know, worked with Bill Parcells and Jeff Ireland in Miami as a national scout before ultimately reuniting with Brandon being in Buffalo. Now, that really holds weight because when you look at some of the players that the Buffalo Bills have drafted over the last couple of years, it's not just Josh Allen, guys. I mean, you're looking at Tremaine Edmonds. You're looking at Tredavious White, the cornerback, who, by the way, was just like a late first-round pick. You're looking at Dawson Knox, the tight end, who's just had such a phenomenal season. He's quite literally become kind of Josh Allen's security blanket. And then you look at other evaluation skills that have taken place. You're talking about someone such as, you know, Shane figuring out, hey, how does someone such as Stephon Diggs or Isaiah McKenzie, how do those guys fit into the offense? What about Zach Moss as well as Devin Singletary? And then just the rest of the defense too. And so when we talk about the Buffalo Bills, we have to realize that Shane is basically the de facto general manager there. And, you know, even Brandon Bean kind of alluded to the fact that, look, he's going to be a general manager someday because he's just so far ahead of the curve. And so for the giants to kind of be closing in on Shane, I'm not going to say it's super concerning because they could ultimately just decide, Hey, we're bringing him in first for a second interview. But then at the end of the day, we do want to give the rest of these guys interviews too, before we make a final decision. Again, I'm not really concerned about it because I do think that, you know, when, I talk to other people around the league and you certainly look at our friends over at Fireside Giants. Something you very quickly notice is that the Bears are one of the few teams that are doing their homework and doing their homework extensively. And they're basically casting a wide net like we talked about at the beginning of the episode. That bodes really well because the Bears are basically saying, yeah, we know there's all these quality candidates out there. We know there's all this competition like Shane. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what we're going to continue to do is continue to just look ahead and if we don't get our first option you know what we do have a couple fallback plans too but speaking of the buffalo bills i mean everyone's been keeping up with the nfl playoffs i know sam's probably not been keeping up because he's always working when the games are on seemingly and there he goes giving me that dirty look and he's unmuting his mic because he's gonna have something to say but i gotta ask you guys this does the bills performance on Saturday night, change your opinion of Brian Dable because what followed afterwards was an intriguing sequence of events where Sunday afternoon or Sunday throughout the day, the Bears were supposed to sit down with Brian Dable, Joe Shane, as well as 
Leslie Frazier, and they basically said, hey, forget Leslie Frazier. We're going to move his interview to Friday, January 21st. Right now, we're just going to focus on Dable and Shane. I'll go first because I, first of all, want to say that I'm a student right now, so I'm not working on the weekends. So I got a chance to watch every single playoff game. Thank you very much. Um, what the Bills did this weekend was nothing short of incredible. Every single possession was a touchdown outside of the last one that was kneeled by uh, former Bears quarterback Mitch Trubisky. Um, Mitch. Uh, but this certainly helps in terms of the public opinion of Dable. Um, I certainly have always kind of been, I wouldn't say on the fence, but intrigued by Dable. Never like he's a top five guy for me. And, and I think what he did this weekend against a, a good Patriots defense and against Bill Belichick w- was incredible. And I, I credit the staff that the the Bills have on offense. You know, I think, for example, a guy like Ken Dorsey is absolutely accredited to helping with the development of Josh Allen, who in 2018 I think a lot of people thought was a was a bust, and now he is one of the um, one of the highest paid guys at his age group for quarterback, and potentially can help uh, win his team a Super Bowl this year. Um, and what Dable did when he came in in 2018 and the way that he completely revamped this offense has been nothing. It's, it's been awesome to watch. They have been a very fun team to watch on offense for the past couple of seasons. I think when you talk about Dable um, just in general, you know, we're not going to do a, I'm not going to do a huge breakdown of him. He's got a ton of experience in both the NFL and college though. And he gets the most out of his weapons on offense. I mean, a guy like Isaiah McKenzie is, having huge gains for them on these on these very specific plays. You know, you're getting the most out of guys like Gabriel Davis. I mean, you're making Devil, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss look like competent running backs. And I'm going to be honest, if that running back duo was in Chicago, we would be in a very, very bad spot on in terms of the Bears' run game right now. Imagine what Dable could do when he, come, when he potentially comes into Chicago, looks at the running back core of David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert, looks at a nice young piece in Darnell Mooney, looks at a quarterback like Justin Fields, you know, similar to what he did with Josh Allen. You know, maybe he brings Dorsey with him as his OC. And now he has the the say in building what he did build in Buffalo similarly into the Chicago Bears' new look offense. That's exciting. And I think the public opinion of Brian Dable has absolutely changed. I think more and more Bears fans are on him. You know, I said uh, – I said, um, I tweeted, I said, looks like Dable is uh, getting ready for his interview with the Bears uh, with that performance. And uh, ultimately, um, I'm not going to continue to just repeat everything I said. Um, So I'm going to cut myself short here because I know I'm going to just keep rambling about Dable. But his performance on Saturday with the Buffalo Bills offense was was very, 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 very good. And it turned heads in the league. I think Dable, if he doesn't end up with the Bears – he is going to be a hot commodity uh, come head coaching decisions. So um, I absolutely think that uh, the Dable love has increased. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad people are finally starting to see what I've been saying. I mean, he was he was, he was was like the guy I wanted the Bears. So I wanted the Bears to fire Nagy last year. And when I said that, I wanted them to bring in Dable as the guy to replace him um, due to his improvements with Josh Allen, due to multiple other things. But I, I just want to re- reiterate, my love was always there. Um the fact, first of all, that he came into Soldier Field in the preseason, did not care, and just absolutely smoked us with our own used quarterback in Mitch Trubisky, 
and just made our defense look embarrassingly bad and made us look bad for obviously letting that guy go. Um, but then just on top of that, the way he adjusted this midseason and improved throughout the season in his running scheme was incredible. I saw a thread on Twitter. I can't remember who it was from, but it was one of the run schemes he ran. It was something he had never done before um, where he was moving around a fullback a lot, using a fullback as a lead blocker. And Singletary had a great game, and it improved throughout the season very, very well. Like Singletary's having a career year in terms of his yards after contact, um, his breaking or his average broken tackles per carry, I believe is the stat. Um, but regardless, Singletary has been going off the last three games now of the season and then went off against the Patriots as well. But the other thing too, with, so the, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Brett Coleman put on Twitter that this was the first ever perfect offensive game by a team where they scored a touchdown on every single drive, no punts, no picks, no fumbles. The only time they didn't score was when they just took three knees and ended the game. And I think he did a little more digging and found that it happened also like the 1940s. But again, that not really modern era. Modern era, so it's not as impressive. But regardless, his the ability to adjust midseason in the running scheme, um, the improvements of Josh Allen overall with him, that him and Ken Dorsey have done with him, the fact that he made Josh Allen a, a so-called bust after one year to an elite quarterback immediately, incredible. And the fact that he just had a perfect game against Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, who it's not like they're bad this year. They were a top five defense. That he's just proving to everybody why he deserves to be a head coach. I'm glad everybody can now see why he deserves to be. Okay, well, first things first, let's kind of get this out of the way, Mr. I wanted Brian Dable last year. I also wanted Brian Dable last year. I was also one of the people on Bears Twitter last year when Sam was still with me, you know, doing this podcast that exactly Sam's an OG Joe, you know, you're just, yeah, whatever. But anyways, as the Bears kind of tweet out here that they've completed the GM interview with Elliot Wolf. I want to talk about something right now because ultimately I said last year, the bears make decisions a year too late. Okay. And this is exactly an example of that, but I really like Brian Dable. You guys took on kind of the viewpoint of like coaching and execution scheme, things like that. Now I think when you ultimately look at it, right. What sticks out to me regarding Brian Dable is just the fact that he's got such a quarterback friendly system, right? He's got a quarterback system that. The offensive scheme that he runs not only emphasizes physicality in the trenches, but also what really tends to happen is that you see the way that he's adapting. You see his his experience being a coordinator for like a decade kind of continuing to play a role. And then you also see just what he's done with Josh Allen is not just utilize Josh Allen as a passer, really effectively utilize Josh Allen as a runner. And a lot of those same things can consistently be said for Justin Fields, who we know what Justin Fields can do as a passer. There's still some development, but I also think that we haven't fully seen what he can do as a passer with Fields specifically because, again, he didn't really have wide receivers outside of Darnell Mooney to throw to. As a runner, we know that that 4-3 speed is probably the most lethal in the NFL for a quarterback. So that's why the day will have certainly increased. I mean, for him to come in and basically do what he did to the Patriots just legitimately kind of shows that, yeah, the Bills are for real and the Bills are such a scary team. And they're not a scary team because of a great defense. They're a really scary team because such a good offense. And Brian Dable, again, let me add this in too because I don't think 
anyone's kind of talking about this right now is when we look at basically the last four seasons from 2018 to 2021, what's kind of happened is that Brian Dable has successfully developed a quarterback and that quarterback, he's got a very similar play style to Justin Fields. And I think that holds a lot of merit because we're talking about someone that has gone through this process once, right? And done it successfully. And so you certainly know that he could do it a second time with Justin Fields if really needed to. And guess what? I think the transition from Allen to Fields from Buffalo to Chicago is going to be seamless for Brian Dable. because He's going to figure out a way to get it done. And for all the people that sit there and say, well, you know what? The Bills suck at running the ball. I mean, go look at the rushing sets. They ran the ball pretty well. A lot of it was because of Josh Allen. They didn't feed the running back sometimes as much, but they've gotten the run game figured out when it matters most. I love that you brought up the rushing stats as the common complaint. I the, the one thing that I hate that people complain about Dable is that when someone says, oh, like they their run game is non-existent, Josh Allen is literally a running quarterback. That's like saying the Baltimore Ravens don't have a running game because their running backs don't run as much as Lamar Jackson does and just taking the running back stats. Just because Josh Allen runs the ball and it's not like they're just non-scripted plays. It's not like he's just just escaping the pocket like nine times a game and running. They also have designed runs for him. Sure, yes, he's escaping the pocket and running, but that's what they do to do their to offset they're non-running, which they still do run the ball quite a bit. They have a split backfield with Singletary and Moss. Singletary still almost ran for a thousand yards. Like it's a split backfield that happens. Like you're not gonna have a thousand yard rusher when you're splitting carries essentially. And when you don't split carries, you have a game like Devin Singletary had last weekend, where he had the majority of the carries and he dominated. So yes, they do have a rushing offense. Just because their quarterback is a running quarterback does not mean they don't have a rushing offense at all. I just had to put that out there because it was bothering the heck out of me on Twitter consistently this whole week. No, I, I think I like that you bring that up because, again, you talk about the abilities of Josh Allen on his legs, and then you compare that to what Justin Fields can do on his legs. And then you also think about, like, the Bears – run. I mean, again, I bring it up again, but, like, the Bears running back core of Dave Montgomery and Khalil Herbert, like – the, both of those guys right now are absolutely better running backs than Devin Singletary. And if Brian Dable can get the most out of him, especially in a playoff game, I mean, imagine what he could do with those guys in Chicago. And, and again, I think retooling the Bears offensive line is absolutely going to need to be a priority this offseason, especially the interior. But it is very, very exciting to think about like a guy who clearly looks at his offense and gets the most out of his young quarterback. And, and if Justin Fields could have a, sim, uh, a similar career trajectory as what Josh Allen is having right now, that is a very, very exciting thought uh, if you're a Bears fan. It certainly is a really exciting thought, but you know what else is very exciting? Sam Stocks. What do you have for us this week in terms of whose stock is up and down? Who should we buy into and who should we cut loose in terms of our investments, Sam? I'll keep this short because um, I know this has been kind of a longer episode and uh, I really focused on um, coaching candidates uh, with this week of Sam's edition of Sam Stocks, uh, specifically guys who are in the playoffs. Uh, how did they perform in the playoffs? Um, stocks up. I-, I was torn between Todd Bowles and Raheem Morris, but I went with Bowles just because I think ultimately he's a guy who is going to actually interview with the Bears this week. Bucks defense put an absolute clinic against Philadelphia. Um 
They have been a solid unit, even with a questionable secondary. I don't love the idea of hiring a defensive-minded head coach, but uh, I would be intrigued by a candidate such as Bulls. Um, could be fun. Could be you know. Could be something that this defense needs. Um, clearly, uh, you know. I mean, the Bears are interviewing him for a reason, and uh, I, I really liked how well, the scheme that they put up against Philadelphia. I mean, they absolutely shut them down on offense and. That's something that is worth noting. Definitely a guy whose stock is up. Stock down, Kellen Moore. I- I'm out on Kellen Moore. I'm 100% out on Kellen Moore. I've been on the fence about Kellen Moore. I have I have praised him. I have questioned him. Their performance against the San Francisco 49ers is all I needed to see. I don't understand how so many NFL experts and analysts praise Kellen Moore the entire year, talk about how he's an absolute genius, and then when they perform the way that they performed with the weapons that they have at wide receiver, with the weapons that they have at running back, with the quarterback that they have, with the tight end that they have, and a solid offensive line group, and you can't put up more than 19 points against a 49ers defense that lost two key defensive players during the game, and your last play call of the game is a quarterback draw with 14 seconds left in the game. I'm sorry, I'm out. I I don't see the appeal of Kellen Moore anymore as a as a head coach candidate. I don't think he has enough experience. I think there's definitely positives. I, I think he's still an intriguing candidate, but in terms of a fit with the Chicago Bears, I'm out. I could not have a guy this year whose stock is lower right now in terms of Sam Stocks. I, I'm sorry if you think Kellen Moore is still a good coaching candidate for the Bears. I do not agree with you at all, but you are free to the opinions that you want to believe in. But for me personally, I could not be more out on Kellen Moore. His stock is plummeting for me. I would absolutely not touch him with a 10-foot pole right now. First, I want to say I don't know how your stock up can't be Brian Dable after literally a perfect game. I didn't want to do Dable when we were going to talk about Dable. I know. That's, that's, that's fair. I did, I did like both of them. Raheem Morris is definitely an underrated one. Um, you can't ignore how outstanding he was versus the Arizona Cardinals this past Monday. That was unbelievable. His, his job in – in Los Angeles is unbelievable. They did not skip beat on defense after losing Brandon Staley. Um, in terms of stock down, I'm so glad everybody is also now seeing that Jason Moore, I mean, I mean, uh, Kellen Garrett, I mean, Kellen Moore, basically the same person, in my opinion, can do absolutely nothing with, like you're saying, the most loaded offense, arguably, in the NFL. Like, on top of that, he's a younger coach with no connections. Like, how does anybody want this dude that literally, like you're saying, struggles against the 49ers defense, has literally two elite wide receivers, an amazing quarterback, an amazing running back room, a great tight end, and like you said, a great O-line. Like, how? How can you not do anything? Like, he's not a good play caller. Sure, he has some solid schemes. He's literally just Matt Nagy. He draws up some pretty schemes sometimes, and he can't play call for it cannot do anything so i'm so glad that other people are seeing this because yeah like i said i i've been so he's been low on my list and people have been getting mad at me for it and it's like okay fine let's get mad at 2.0 see what happens let's see what happens but but nobody is talking about it nobody like mccarthy nobody they're all blaming him now and it's and all all the blame is being deflected literally opposite directions mike mccarthy and dak for being a bad quarterback you know, I think Dak's a pretty good quarterback, in my opinion. I don't think you can really blame him for that. Sure, Mike McCarthy sucks as a head coach. 
He doesn't do anything, though. He just stands there and twiddles his thumbs. He doesn't do anything with the offense. It is all Kellen Moore. It's Kellen Moore's offense, and you expect him to come into a team like Chicago and, and basically rebuild it in his scheme. I think he could be a good head coach, potentially. I think if it's the right fit, he is not the right fit for Chicago, and that game against the Niners is all I needed to see. If you like Kellen Moore for the Chicago Bears, again, you're entitled to your opinion, but your opinion is bad. Well, I'm obviously going to go ahead and say this, is that I do not want the Bears to go ahead and hire Kellen Moore. Look, I like Kellen Moore, but also, let's just be real, the last time the Bears hired a offensive guru on the rise who rose through the ranks quickly, it ended up being Matt Nagy, so look at what happened. But listen, last point here before we get out of here, you know, if you keep up with the athletic, and we all do because we love our guys Adam Johns and Kevin Fishbane, what had happened is they dropped an article last Thursday talking about a decade of dysfunction, how the Bears have basically gotten to the point of no return. And so I got to ask you guys this, right, Joe, because I'm going to go to you first and then Sam, you can chime in and then I'm going to kind of close this out. But let's take like 10 to 15 minutes here to kind of go ahead and discuss. I mean, after that article from Adam Johns and Kevin Fishbane, Knowing what came out, especially with the fact that Mitch Trubisky was calling things out in camp and saying, hey, you know what? This isn't going to work. Whereas coaches were like, it's all going to come together. And then other stuff like stories from Lance Briggs talking about how Mel Tucker was basically told, no, run Lovey Smith's defense. Or even the part where Mitch Trubisky showed up to a meeting with Matt Nagy and then Matt Nagy basically never even showed up. And Mitch had notes too. I mean, were the Bears, I think the million-dollar question is this, is were we all too hard on Mitch Trubisky, knowing what we know now? Because hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yep, and that's no surprise to me. Again, he was the scapegoat for Matt Nagy's horrible offense, horrible schemes, horrible everything, and Matt Nagy threw him under the bus. He treated him like garbage. He did no help in developing whatsoever, and literally I've had – I had one article that ever popped off in my career, and it was about how Matt Nagy filled Mr. Trubisky. It got on Bleach Report. It got on a few different other uh, websites as well. But he, he failed him, and that was his only job, and he didn't care. Like He literally tried his best to make him look bad, and all he did was make himself look worse, which is a sad thing. He literally tried twice to replace him with guys that would be perfect for his scheme, that know the playbook like the back of their hands. And all that happened was they had worse records than Mr. Bisky. How pathetic is that? Like he was a horrible coach. And I, now I, I, I love like the common, like, Oh, he's a good guy. Like he's a player's coach. No, like I, if we were on a podcast right now, there'd be a lot of words I could say to describe him right now. He's not a good person though. And he deserves, he doesn't deserve another head coaching opportunity. And I'm really glad that people came forward now that he's gone. It shows at least that the Bears built a solid culture that they're not going out and talking bad about their coach. That's the one thing I'll put to that. I mean, I wish they would have, obviously, get him out of there sooner, but it shows that they actually care about the team and the culture within the team to not go forward and just rat on your own coach. It just shows that they all have some sort of discipline in that aspect. But that's not really Nagy. That's more about John Fox and what he built with Ryan Pace. So – I'm very glad now that he's gone and that this is all coming forward because it's, again, horrible that he was that Trubisky was treated this way. Second overall pick, they get this amazing quarterback guru head coach who doesn't even try with him. It's just, it just it blows my mind that it actually is true and that I've been saying it for years. 
Um, so for those of you who may or may not be subscribed to the athletic, if, if you want to know what the article is all about, it, it's, it's called, it all starts with the McCaskies, how the bears ended up in an endless cycle of inheriting the previous regime's trash. It's a long piece. It's worth reading. Um, it, there's a lot in there that, that for bears fans are going to hurt to read, but you know, it's the God forsaken truth. Um, I like this line from it though. Uh, the general sentiment, Nagy tried to make his quarterback something that he wasn't. I agree with that. I absolutely agree. When I think about Mitch Trubisky's attributes, when I think about the positives that he brings as an NFL quarterback, and I think about what Matt Nagy was trying to make him do, it just never was going to work. And ultimately, I think what John Fox was able to get out of him his rookie year, yeah, the Bears didn't win a lot of football games, but he allowed Mitch to play to the best of his athletic abilities and what he knew um, in terms of football at that time. I mean, Mitch struggled as a rookie, but Mitch had flashes. I mean, we were all bought into Mitch, I think, in this on this call, at least for a season or two. I definitely was a Mitch believer for a long time. I mean, I wanted the kid to succeed. Why? He's a likable guy. People like him. He had the locker room. Guys in the locker room liked him. Guys, you know, had his back. And ultimately, good coaches find a way to adjust, and, and Matt Nagy never did that. Instead, he complained about the guy that he had, even though he agreed to take the coaching job, knowing Mitch was going to be the quarterback. And he ducked and dived and avoided responsibility and begged for a quarterback of his choice in back-to-back off seasons. Shocker. It didn't work. Nick Foles experiment failed. The Andy Dalton replacement experiment failed. I mean, you could ultimately even say like trading up for Justin Fields and replacing Dalton with Justin Fields early in the season kind of failed. The bears got nothing out of 2021, except maybe a little bit of developing Justin Fields. If you take it from that angle, only other thing I really want to add to this um, is the conversation of Mitch Trubisky was the scapegoat and Mitch Trubisky should be on the Chicago Bears roster right now are two entirely different conversations. Um, I love Mitch. I hope he has a good career in the NFL. Um, and I do wish him the best of luck. He is not um, – at the same time, I, I don't want him on the Chicago Bears. I, I think the Bears moving on from him was the right call. And the reason why I say this, ultimately the biggest reason, please justify to me if you're listening to the episode at this point, the Bears paying Mitch Trubisky a second contract. Because what makes Mitch Trubisky value right now, he's about to be a free agent in this offseason, is he's young. He has learned a good system. Again, we talked about Brian Dable, gets the most out of his quarterbacks in his system. So that's an exciting thing to think about with Mitch. And he's going to be cheap. Mitch Trubisky is not going to be an expensive addition to any roster, and he could arguably probably start on a dozen NFL teams next year or compete for a starting job. I've always talked – I mean, I talked about it on Twitter. If Brian Dable goes to Miami, let's say, I could see him bringing Mitch with him. If Brian Dable goes to New York, I could see Mitch taking him taking Mitch with him. I could see a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers signing Mitch. I think Mitch keeps that team intact on offense. Mitch Trubisky on the Bears is not going to work again. And I will, I will argue that into a wall. Like he would have not, it would have not worked because what you ultimately would have done, if you were still bought in on Mitch, you would have picked up his fifth year option. And then you now have to look at what do we pay this guy? I wouldn't want to be the team that has to pay Mitch Trubisky's second contract on his rookie deal. So the fact of the matter is, is that the bears made the right call, letting him go. And that's a separate conversation from the fact that Matt Nagy used him as a scapegoat. We were way, way too hard on Mitch Trubisky. Absolutely, 100%. Um, so I do request that Shy Sports Sam goes ahead and checks the Twitter group chat because I dropped something super funny in there. Um, I see the smirk on Sam's face. I don't know. Maybe you should make that your new like Twitter profile picture. 
Um, but anyways, guys, getting back to the content here, look, I want to talk about something because the reality of the situation is that when you can't get it done with one quarterback, you're usually fired. When you can't get it done with Nick Foles or Andy Dalton or Justin Fields, the other three, by the way, outside of Mitch Trubisky that were your handpicked quarterbacks, that's bad. Okay, and in this league, you only get so many chances. And in four seasons, Matt Nagy got more chances than he probably deserved. At the end of the day, when you look at this right here, it's like if your boss is not putting you in a position to succeed, do not expect great results from the employees. Expect employees to be confused and not really have a kind of idea of what's going on within the company and so ultimately matt Nagy was the boss here he basically said yeah you know what i don't care what my employees do because at the end of the day i'm just going to continue to do things the matt Nagy way and when you have that attitude and that mindset you know what happens you usually end up failing nine times out of ten there's obviously going to be extenuating circumstances and exceptions to every rule but this is matt Nagy wasn't fired because of Mitch Trubisky or poor offensive play, those are just smaller factors. He was fired essentially because he failed to do what he was basically hired to do, which is get the most out of all these players on offense and turn the Bears into an offensive powerhouse. And so ultimately, when we look at Matt Nagy and we look at this piece from Fishman and Adam Johns that kind of came out, we have to understand something. We have to understand that this dysfunction right here, it's basically the definition of the Bears organization. And obviously, you know, we were, I think, way too hard on Mitch Trubisky because we gave this kid plenty of chances, right? And people were fed up and annoyed, and it got to a point where it was just like, you know what, just end this Mitch Trubisky experiment already. But you know what this organization has also taught me that I don't think anyone's talking about is that you can move on from one quarterback, but you know what? It doesn't necessarily mean the next quarterback is going to be better. It doesn't mean that the next coach is going to be better either. It's like you didn't want Mitch Trubisky starting, so you know what happened? Well, they went out and they traded for Nick Foles. And guess what? Did the Nick Foles experiment work out? No, it didn't. And I wrote this in Fireside Bears on our positional recaps. I said that the biggest advantage to having Nick Foles was that he was the only quarterback in the room that was willing to be open and vocal with Matt Nagy. That was the only silver lining to having Nick Foles in there. His experience, all the other stuff just is a plays a part too, but Foles is willing to be open and vocal and say, Nagy, your offense sucks. Okay. Everyone else is just like, yeah, whatever. All right, so could things have gone differently had Matt Nagy committed to Mitch Trubisky and said, yeah, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to build this thing around you and do this thing the right way, yeah. But when you try to turn someone, especially in football, when you try to turn a player into something that they're not, you know what, the results are, it's going to blow up in your face and it just doesn't go for football, it goes for pretty much anything else in life. And Matt Nagy, quite frankly, I don't think he should ever be a head coach in the NFL again. I think he's a complete failure as a head coach. He's someone who's basically shown if it's not the Matt Nagy way, it's not going to get done. And the Matt Nagy way has basically been, yeah, you know what, I'm going to do things my way and we're just going to keep hoping that a domino or two falls our way. So ultimately, to end this big rant of mine, yeah, we were way too hard on Mitch Trubisky. I personally hope Mitch lands in the right situation because even though he's not with the Bears anymore, I hope he goes on and succeeds just so Matt Nagy can go ahead and eat his words. Because, again, I believe this, that Ryan Pace, yeah, he missed on Mitch Trubisky, right? 
but also it's hard to get the quarterback position right in this league. I'm just going to throw this out there. I understand Justin Fields has a tremendous amount of upside, but guess what? You can't even guarantee that the Bears have the answer in Fields until Fields proves he's the answer at the quarterback position. That's just pure objective analysis. And I know a lot of Bears fans aren't going to want to hear that because it's going to transition into, oh, well, no, Justin Fields is the answer. Well, you're convincing yourself Justin Fields is the answer. He actually has to show it too, dude. Come on, be real with me here. And so for Mitch, you know what? I hope you have an illustrious career elsewhere. And guess what? Ryan Pace ain't responsible. Well, Ryan Pace is responsible for your failures, but all three of them are out of Chicago now. Ultimately, Matt Nagy's the biggest culprit here. And I think genuinely when I say this, you could, I think in 10 to 15 years time, when we talk about this era of Bears football, and we talk about some of the worst decisions that have been made the last decade has basically proven to us that hiring Mark Trussman over Bruce Arians was a mistake. Other people also talk about how drafting Mitch Trubisky over Deshaun Watson, because he was the only proven product this time, not Patrick Mahomes, was a mistake. But I also think that keeping Matt Nagy around for an extra season was a big mistake too. And Matt Nagy's probably the worst thing to happen to the Bears franchise since this team fired Lovey Smith. And I genuinely say that because Lovey at least won 10 games and put up respectable numbers year in and year out. Matt Nagy only did it once, and guess what? Even that, he did on the heels of Vic Fangio. I will also add my – I guess this could be her hot take because I've said it a million times. Um, Adam Gase was a better coach than Matt Nagy ever was, and I will die on that hill and debate a wall. Nagy could be argued as one of the worst coaches in NFL history, in my opinion. But that's the 2018 coach of the year that we're talking about here, fellas. 12 and four, won the division, uh, got to the playoffs. What What do you mean? Uh, the, the resume speaks for itself. Three winning seasons, two playoff appearances, coach of the year. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, you're saying that it wasn't all Nagy for his success? That's a crazy thought. I couldn't even – couldn't even begin to imagine that. And if you couldn't tell that by the thick amount of sarcasm that I'm speaking with at this point, that I absolutely agree with the majority of what both of my co-hosts have said uh, in the past minute and a half. Um, good riddance, Matt Nagy. And again, I do wish the best for Mitch Trubisky, but I'm not going to stay. I'm not, I'm not dying on that hill that he should still not be a Chicago bear. And the bears made a right call with that. All right, anyway, so what I can see happening is Sam Chang is profile picture on Twitter to the funny picture I just sent him. So I think it's a really funny picture. He's just sitting there laughing. I feel like it would be really, it would really fit in if you threw it like on the gym class villains like podcast logo. You know, just make it the cover, dude. Forget all the other guys, okay? I'm still, AJ and I are supposed to still come on that show. But anyways, we're going to get out of this thing, guys. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. I'll be recording YouTube with Max on Thursday. Some more updates on coaching, what to look forward to, more in-depth analysis. So definitely check that out. Make sure you're following Sam as well as Joe on Twitter at Joseph Herf NFL and at Shy Sports Sam. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Usaid Social. Welcome to all the new listeners. Welcome to all the new followers. We're so happy you're here. Episodes, guys, we record on Tuesday nights. Drop them on Tuesdays at 11.59 p.m. Central Time. So adjust your time zones accordingly wherever you may be. Good morning, good evening, and good night. We are going to go ahead and get out of this thing. Bear down, ladies and gentlemen. Bear down.